to the Heavy Hole. I'm Tom. And I'm Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. And tonight we have a very special guest joining us in studio. My old friend, Rick Habib, longtime guitarist of Gray Skies Fallen, New York City's uh, death doom metal band. And uh, also longtime guitarist now since 2012 of my own band, Buckshot Facelift. How you doing, Rick? Hey now, what's up Will, what's up Tom, thank you so much for having me Absolute pleasure man Yeah, thanks, thanks for coming for out man Yeah, it's gonna be good I know you came a long way, you drove three hours out from your um, your compound in the woods My woods retreat, yes, <laughs> up in Pennsylvania yeah. <laughs> where, you, the yeah, where you write all the, the forest uh, death doom riffs Yes, you have to be in the environment and the elements Yeah man, tonight I want to talk a lot about Grey Skies Fallen I want to get into uh, some of the, the secret lore of that band and um, I, I also want to talk about the, the different bands that inspired uh, Grey Skies Fallen, because there's a movement in death metal through, like, the, the late 90s. Uh, I, I didn't follow it uh, so much as other bands, but a lot of the early death metal and black metal bands started playing, like, this kind of European doom metal that's very different from, like, stoner doom and all that stuff, right? Well, yeah, I mean, when you talk about doom, there are so many, just like metal itself, there's so many different subgenres to this one genre mm -hmm. you know i mean <clears throat> it started off obviously with sabbath starting it off with that whole inventors of everything creators of everything and then bands uh, witchfinder general in the later 70s they kind of ape sabbath trouble and pentagram these kind of bands had that old school doom sound candle mess was from sweden they came around in the mid 80s different kind of sound but similar in the same way but kind of darker if possible and Right, like Just an evolution. Epic, yeah, ten years later. Similarities, but their own voice. Definitely, and it brought that whole Swedish kind of sound. And then about in the early 90s, you have uh, Paradise Lost come around, Cathedral. But most people pay attention to the Peaceful Big Three. The Peaceful Three, even though they, they all the bands don't really like that tag, but... Peaceful Records, right? Right, Peaceful Records out of uh, London... Or not of London, out of the UK. Um, they had Paradise Lost. They put out their first record. I believe it was 1990, so they were the first one there. And then Anathema and My Dying Bride followed suit on that label. A couple years later, they both put out their debuts. So they all get lumped together. But that was the the early 90s European. I, I lump Cathedral in there because that first record is like uh, Funeral Doom. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was like the beginnings of that whole thing. Uh, if you listen to Forest of Equilibrium, which was a very heavy album, uh, real that, that kind of opened my eyes. This guy I used to jam with, he he had that shirt, uh, this dude Andrew, and he, I saw that shirt, I was like, what the fuck is that? And then I listened to that record, and uh, that was mind-blowing at the time, heavy doom. That's why you buy merch, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, and yeah. Spread the good word. And this was 1992, so he had the, the good sense. I don't know where he got that shirt. I don't think he had played um, the U.S. at that point. So I don't, I don't know where he, where he scrounged that up from. But it was uh, a yeah, pre-internet right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was on the internet in 90, 91. I had Prodigy. And that's where I got into a lot of bands. If you remember wow. Prodigy, it was like CompuServe or AOL had just begun. Before my time. Yeah, yeah, it was AOL one of those was kind of the beginning of the internet for me. In Prodigy, there was a uh, there was chat rooms, 
So uh, not not chat rooms, message boards. It was like the beginnings of the message boards, and that's where I got into all a lot of '80s kind of obscure stuff. And this was like you know '91, '92. So bands like this that we're talking about now, that was like my introduction to these guys. Mm-hmm. So before we get um, too far ahead. Uh, you're kind of like my go-to guy for this genre and this type of stuff, man. Because um, in the '90s, I was chasing like brutal, guttural death metal and grindcore more. And uh, maybe some of the listeners of of the show might might be more familiar, like myself, with like disembowelment, right? Um, Winter, you know, some of like the bands that are a little bit more have like a little little bit more of their 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 weight in death metal. Yeah, yeah, stuff stuff like that. Um, and some of these bands start out like that, like like uh, if you listen to older Catatonia, older. Uh, Tiamat, especially Edge of Sanity. There's definitely death metal elements there, and even sometimes elements of black metal there. But I feel like where a lot of bands in the in the mid like 90, 90 maybe ninety three, ninety four, ninety five were pushing things forward. These guys were maybe combining elements of like gothic music and folk music and synth based music, right? Yeah, that that all happened. All these bands. Well, they let's take the Peaceville Three for example. These all of these bands within the first five years of their existence as far as putting records out, they all metamorphosize into something totally different. You had Paradise Lost become basically Depeche Mode after <laughs> a little while. Yeah, yeah. And I, that, that was where they lost me for a bit. I've, I've fallen asleep during two concerts in my life. One of them was Queensryche. <laughs> oh, no. Queensryche at... Um, I'm a big Queensryche fan, by the way. Watch out. That was in 94, typo, open for them. It was at PNC Bank Art Center in New Jersey, and I fell asleep. They were playing all acoustic stuff, and that was. And then I woke up, and there was a girl uh, riding. She was naked, and she was riding some guy on the lawn, and then the police Jeez. came and broke that up. Wow, that was my memory right. of that show. God damn the police! All Just right, let it happen. Yeah, that, you never. Some kid could have been uh, conceived at that concert. Who the other, me? yeah, the other show I fell asleep at was Depeche Mode. So when Paradise Lost <laughs> became that, that was like oh. okay, they lost you on that. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's something I was going to ask you too, is because. You know, we're kind of doing a, a Gray Skies Fall in retrospective along with this interview because I feel like people could benefit from from your knowledge of the, of this scene because it's it's something like again I don't want to harp on it but I'm not as knowledgeable as you on this type of stuff. It's all good, man. And um, you're from Staten Island. Uh, that's yes. where you grew up and, and lived most of your life. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> so, and I know most of the other members are from Staten Island or from the New York City area, South from Long Island. Uh, this type of metal wasn't huge in our region in the 90s. Uh, you know, in the, like you had, I mean, Typo Negative was obviously right. huge. You had Life of Agony was huge. I don't know if there's so much this style. They're more on the hardcore side of kind of yeah, hardcore side of things. I'm just trying to think of regional bands typo that were for sure. in, that, in that era that were big that could be comparable to what was going on in Europe. And there wasn't much. And the internet, like you said, that's something interesting that's what to bring up because you were on this uh, Prodigy internet yeah. message board in, in what, 91? 91, 92. I was tape trading with a bunch of dudes. That's where I got into bands jump off the page right now is a Skyclad. Even though they're not doom metal, they're you know, a traditional metal band, but I never heard of this band at the time. Count Raven was a good uh, traditional doom band in the, in the, let's say, Sabbath style. The singer sounded just like Ozzy. So I know at that time I was like 18 years old. I was like, holy shit, this sounds so cool. And they're, they're really good, though. <laughs> they're actually... Uh, but Solitude Alternus, they're from Texas. They're um, the American band that was probably the best, in my opinion, doom band of the 90s. They put out some records uh, in, the, in the first couple of 
years of the 90s. Their singers reminded me a lot like Dio. So they had this heavy doom sound with a Dio kind of singer to it. So it kind of reminded me of the Sabbath Dio albums, which I like personally. You know, those are my favorite Sabbath records. And it's uh, it's safe to say that um, like Dio, Iron Maiden, maybe even uh, like Halloween bands like that are, are an influence on Grey Skies Fallen in a way, and maybe uh, an influence also on this movement of music. Well, personally, I love all those bands you mentioned. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. So I was into, you know, Maiden is probably my favorite band ever to this day. I still every year my Spotify uh, top ten list comes out that I listen to. Maiden's always number one somehow. <laughs> Uh, still, it's, heard these songs thousands of times. I, I don't. You're definitely not the first person to say Iron Maiden's your favorite band <laughs> on the podcast, right? That Frank, no, I, Frank I don't Rini think so. said that. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, and, Frank. Uh, I, I don't know if uh, Chris Basile Pyrex he said favorite, but it's definitely big for him. That's you know, I, you know, Iron Maiden's big for me too, man. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's we a all band. like peanut butter and jelly. You know, yeah. it's just perfect. Yeah, basics, you can't fuck with yeah. it. It's, it's, I mean, I'm I'm 42 at this point. I've never been on Earth when Iron Maiden hasn't existed. So to yeah. me, this is, you know, this is once they break up and it's over, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to take. Ooh, it's yeah, yeah. Wow. That's, that's an interesting way of putting it. You know, they formed yeah. in I believe Christmas Day of 1975, and that was about six. That was about seven months before my birth, my glorious entrance to this world. Mm. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's deep. That's deep. And yeah, I don't I don't want to talk about Iron Maiden eventually breaking up. Yeah, um, but we got about two two more albums at this pace. Yeah, or maybe even one. Mm. But uh, yeah, great band. I've seen them three times. One time, uh, I had a spare ticket. Um, a coworker couldn't go, and uh, I we kind of just basically kidnapped my cousin, who was a few years younger than me, and I think that was his first time seeing Iron Maiden. Man, great, great, great memories, man. Yeah, uh, hopefully, and now he's got a son, my nephew. Hopefully, I could take him to his first Iron Maiden. Playing this summer. Well. Kid's only two years old, man. We uh, gotta give him a little time, right, man. So, yeah. <laughs> I gotta make sure I can take him out again, man. I can't take him to New Jersey for Iron Maiden. But <laughs> getting getting back on on the topic, um, now we talked about you know the, those older bands, Black Sabbath, Dio, and Iron Maiden. Uh, but there's kind of like we not, we mentioned the second wave. Um, I think a good starting place and maybe a place that is common ground for me and some of our other listeners, a band that is, is near and dear to all of our hearts and buckshot facelift uh, and Gray Skies Fallen, Bloodbath. Uh, super group. I, yeah. Super group of sorts. Well, not of sorts. They're definitely a super yeah. group. Uh, well, a super group that plays a really um, heavy and, and brutal style of old school death metal. Uh, but it's mainly comprised of people from these more melodic doom metal bands, right? Well, it's it started out as a tribute uh, to Swedish death metal when these guys came together as Bloodbath. It was uh, Michael Ackerfeld from Opeth, and then you had Jonas Renski and Blackenheim from Catatonia, and Swano, Dan Swano also, um, I think he played drums on the first two. He, he bounced around on instruments on that in that band, but it was a tribute to the to their they're all from Sweden, so it was a tribute to their homelands death metal bands. First EP came out in 2000, and that was uh, awesome. Uh, Breeding death, uh, no, what the hell is the fucking name of it? Yeah, I think uh, I, I don't have it on him, but uh, we 
when we did our uh, our our episode with Adam Rotella um, and and the real gore discussion, Adam brought brought up their first release and their most recent release, um, and we we talked about that for a while. But uh, I, you know, speaking of Dan Swano, I wanted to bring that up because Edge of Sanity is a very important band. I know in your personal uh, evolution and in the evolution of this style of music, because they start out they start out death metal, but there's a very eccentric kind of um orchestrated uh element you know there's there the songs are broken up into different movements and stuff yeah later on that's what happened um the first the first few uh records are just straightforward swedish death metal of the highest caliber you know these guys firing on all cylinders swano was uh 18 years old 19 years old when these albums first started coming out was, i believe he was originally the singer yeah, right, he yeah. was a singer. He played guitar on some of the stuff. And later on, when uh, Crimson came out, that was 96. It was still, I believe it was still the full band at that time. And Swano was playing guitar also. They had three guitar players for that album. But that was a 40-minute song. So it was, that's yeah. what you're talking about, broken up into different um, uh, pieces and parts. But it was a straight 40-minute song. And I love going into bars and when they have the... The uh, internet jukebox. I always play Crimson. <laughs> Forty minutes for two bucks. Makes sense. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> you get your money's worth. It's wow. like going to Costco on a jukebox. And then they broke up, and then uh, a few years later, he put put out Crimson too, which was just him. He played every instrument, I believe. I think he played every instrument. I could be wrong. Maybe he didn't play the guitar solos. But uh, that was, you know, progressive death metal, Swedish death metal. Yeah, he was. He was just. Uh, he's like the innovator of all that stuff. Yeah. So I. I almost. Uh, I think of a parallel in a way. Um, maybe not stylistically a hundred percent, because definitely different styles of death metal. But to, to death, the band Death and um, their evolution with Edge of Sanity and Dan Swano's evolution, because the the way that both of them push the boundaries of death metal in such an articulate, right, intellectual direction, and yeah, progressive ways that they would. And I do remember in the 90s, Crimson was fairly controversial when it came out in death metal circles because, especially me as like an elitist teenager who knew everything in the world, you know, and had my attitude about brutal death metal and grindcore, you know, I, I couldn't stand Edge of Sanity at that point. Of course, later I grew up and I, you know, I understood instrumentation a little bit. You know, now I can appreciate what's going on a little bit better, but um, it was a little controversial, and it's it, it's that's the point I'm trying to make with all this is that in the '90s there was a lot going on with these death metal subgenres. Experimentation. Yeah, and um, and, and we talked about Edge of Sanity. Uh, that's that's one component of Bloodbath, but the, the guy's name is Michael Ackerfield, right? right. Ackerfeld. He's the My, yeah. singer of Opeth and guitarist mm -hmm. of Opeth's main songwriter. And he also was in Catatonia at one point. No, he um, he guest vocal for their EP. For funerals to come, and also the full-length album *Brave Murder Day*. So he was basically filling in on vocals because at that point, what I believe happened was Catatonia split up for a little while, and Jonas Renski, the, the vocalist, the former, well, he was always in the band, but he used to do death vocals. I don't think he liked doing them anymore. So Ackerfeld came in, did those two albums for them, and then. At that point, they transitioned to more of their modern gothic kind of sound after that, and he was still writing the lyrics for them at that point, from what I recall. So he, he had his hand in on Catatonia, and they were all buddies, so it was natural to start, I guess, this uh, amazing death metal supergroup. 
which has also had uh, Peter from Hypocrisy on vocals, and now Nick Holmes from Paradise Lost, who takes a lot of shit from people. <laughs> I say he's not brutal enough. Yeah, I uh, yeah you're always yeah, gonna I've, find those people. Yeah, I, I've people heard gotta that. Chill yeah. with that shit, man. This dude like invented. He was like one of the death metal vocalists that created this stuff. Yeah. He still sounds he 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 sounds unsettling. Yeah, and I think when you listen to death metal. You don't want to feel comfortable, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, it's also hard because he's competing with other vocalists who've, who've sang for the band, and right. everyone's going to have that. Everyone's going to have that one, you know. That the, you know, when, when a band has a lot of different singers, everyone always prefers one sure. over the other. I mean, if you put Ackerfell next to him and said "Growl," yeah, and, you know, Ackerfell's going to take the take that contest every time. But well, that's it's different styles, but. That's also why I would recommend that Catatonia album. That's Catatonia with a K, by the way, for the listeners. Right. Uh, Brave Murder Day, because his right. vocal performance is, is really outstanding as a death metal singer. With the Swano production, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, He's and. Studio. Yeah, which is a whole thing. Dan Swano uh, production in Sweden. He's one of those uh, go to producers for a lot of albums, which um, we'll talk about this uh, a little bit later. But the new Gray Skies Fallen album is actually going to be mixed by Dan Swano, correct? Mixed and mastered, yes. Yeah. Really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He did Storm of the Night's Band. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The classic mm -hmm. dissection. Yeah, di dissection. Yeah, dissection. And we also mentioned you, you talked about Peter uh, Ta Tagdren, Peter yeah. from, from Hypocrisy. Yes. Um, if people don't know Hypocrisy, I, I mean, I'd awesome. like to do a whole podcast about Hypocrisy and their many albums and their yeah. legacy one day. Talk about a progressive uh, band, uh, death metal. Yeah, that's a band that, I, you know, I don't know if I would lump them in with this whole doom metal movement we're talking about, but they right. definitely forged a path different from what was going on in death metal at the time. Absolutely. They always did their own thing. Um, I have a funny, well, not a funny, kind of unfortunate looking back at its story about Peter from Hypocrisy, if I could share it. Yeah, please do. Why not? Grace Guys Fallen, we were at the first annual March Metal Meltdown. It was March of 1999. It was our first show. I mean, we had played bullshit shows, but this was our first show with Sal playing drums. And it was for 2,000 people. And it was awesome. And uh, after we played, Peter from Hypocrisy approaches me and he's telling me that he really liked our set and he has a studio, and he like, you know, maybe for us to come down and, and record with him. But he didn't introduce himself as Peter from Hypocrisy. He just, you know, I, I should have knew who he was, but I didn't. And that was the last time I ever talked to him, but he was definitely interested in listening to us and perhaps even working with us. So every time I hear Hypocrisy, I kind of cringe a little bit. <laughs> lost, uh, lost opportunity, Yeah, because he's, yeah. he's good to, he's, a, you know, he's another legendary producer. Of course, guy, right, yeah. Records amazing bands. How, how old were you then? That was 99, so I was 23. I was 22, turning right. 23 shortly. All right, well, we all, when we're, get, when we're getting our feet wet in the scene, we all, uh, yeah, you know, a... make mistakes and uh, don't don't hear opportunity knocking at Most times. Definitely. You know, you live and you learn, man. What are you going to do? Um, but, uh... Yeah, I mean, just just getting back to wrap up this bloodbath thing real quick. We talked about hypocrisy. We talked about uh, Micah Ackerfeld. He obviously went on to to do Opeth, which a lot of the listeners and, and people who aren't even as familiar with the with the context of this conversation might know Opeth because they've gone on to become such a big successful act. Um, and they're they're probably I mean they're probably like the premier big band that came out of this whole movement in the '90s, right? Out uh, of the the, the European. Doom metal bands that kind of started in, in in the early death metal scene. Well, I would consider Opeth really was separate. They, they were more of like um, the Swedish melodic scene that came out of. You had bands that from Stockholm like Opeth and Entombed, or not, you know, for previously. And Swano came from there. But then you had 
the, the um, Gothenburg, or however you pronounce it, Gothenburg bands like Dark Tranquility and In Flames and At The Gates. Mm-hmm. But out of those bands, I lumped them all together because there was all these Swedish bands coming out around 94 to 96. But yeah, Opeth, I mean, they played Radio City Music Hall. I saw yeah. them there. Yeah, yeah. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, exactly. And they played Red Rocks in uh, Colorado, which is an outdoor major venue that's a legendary venue, and they did a live album there. Yeah, it's really uh, amazing, their career. The trajectory was... I'm not that familiar with them, but the way their name pops everywhere, it's like... um, And I've I've watched a couple of the Radio City Music Hall uh, live performances. It's just like... uh, it's fantastic yeah. what that band has done mm-hmm. with their career. Like, Absolutely. Uh, and, and, not, and, and the way it transcends uh, almost genres metal. in a way. Yeah, it's like, think about filling up Radio Music City Hall with, with people who are like selling it out, with people that were there for that style of music. It's very yeah. interesting. I mean, when I was there, it was October of 2016, I believe, that show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was sitting there listening. I had seen them 15 times, you know. Mm-hmm. By this point, but I was like, "This is a Radio City, you know, legendary venue." And here I'm listening to this guy do the most brutal death vocals that I've ever heard live. His death vocals are awesome. remarkable. Yeah. They're he's the best. They're fantastic. Him and, they him really and Dan Swano are my favorite death metal singers. The way he goes back and forth between those death and the and the clean stuff is um, kind of hard to picture doing vocals like that. You know, with the strain that the death metal stuff does to your voice, and then the accuracy and pitch that you need to reach within the clean vocals. He could just so. do it on a on a whim. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's crazy. And then, you know we we had we played our first their first show, their first American show we played with them at Milwaukee Metal Fest. It was Catatonia and uh Opeth and us. We went on right before Catatonia. Was that in two thousand? Yeah that was two thousand. I was there but I didn't know you were Sal yet. Was, right, yeah. that was previous yeah. that was Oh, yeah, Crimson Ton, that's awesome. It was prior to, to you knowing Sal and um, by about five years. But that room was packed, too. That was the greatest show I ever played. And uh, they used all of our gear. They couldn't use our guitars because we tuned to C-sharp and they tuned to E standard. So they borrowed some other... They, in interviews, they talk about these shitty strats that they played. I like a strat. I, love, I have a strat. They were probably using imitation strats or whatnot, but we had nice... I had nice Gibsons for them, but... They couldn't use it. They used my amps, though. And then when they came back the next March from March Metal Fest, we hung out on their tour bus, smoked some herb with them, and talked about uh, Porcupine Tree. Allegedly. Allegedly, back in the day. It was illegal back then in New Jersey. How's their English? <laughs> Very good. Yeah, yeah, that dude, you know, slight slight accent. I mean, slight accent. You could tell it. Oh, the American. accent's fine, but the comprehension yeah. was Very all good. good. Yeah. Very I good mean, communication Sweden, level. It seems like these guys, they speak English uh, it's a nice thing they got going on over there in Sweden. A lot of them, uh, not just Sweden, but uh, a lot of these Scandinavian, uh, Scandinavian countries. They Amazing just, musicians spawn from this place. Yeah. They promote that. Probably mm-hmm. easier to have a conversation in English with uh, with some of them than it is with, to have a conversation in English with me. I think the biggest musical export from Sweden is Meshuggah. Huh. Wow. Yeah, Besides think, ABBA? Yeah, ABBA. Well, ABBA doesn't gotta be do neck and neck anymore. Right. They, don't, they, they did. But they haven't been active in twenty some odd years. I mean, I, they might still be, you know, going to gym class or whatever. You never. They, no, they don't. They're spin class. They are, they're absolutely. They got offered uh, half a billion dollars by some Shit. Saudi Arabian prince to play a show, and they put it down. They do not wow. play. Wow. Uh, and so, Meshuggah <laughs> is the biggest active 
export that that Sweden yeah, has music. They're pretty huge. I got <laughs> I got to get that Saudi Arabian Prince Market. Uh, or, Do they like uh, grindcore? Or, or, or like there? Dubai or where? Yeah. So some of those places UAE. where you go and like yeah. the rappers spend a lot of money and stuff, man. But all right, well. Get, get, getting back on top, but we kind of broke down this blood because I think Bloodbath is such a great place to start because they're um, a very much universally loved death metal band. But if you pry into the uh, the lineup and the different members that have come and gone, you can like go on go into so many wormholes of other great music. And we talked about Catatonia. I just wanted to spend a minute talking about October Tide. Um, that's the, give give the give the history of that band a little bit if you know. I believe what happened was like I stated I believe Catatonia had split up for a little while around 95 and uh, could be talking out of my ass but I think this was the history there and and during that time Jonas and Frederick Norman who was the guitarist the second guitarist of Catatonia they went and formed October Tide played and then they recorded a classic record and um, then they then Catatonia reformed, so they both went back, and that was Brave Murder Day '97. So I believe October Tide was recorded around '95, '96, and then they went back to Catatonia and kind of resumed that sound. You could; those are similar sounding records. Yeah, yeah, a lot. There's a lot to go on, and I, I had asked you um, a few days ago to recommend me a few albums to listen to and research, and. Man, you you shot at me this list, man. I had to say Sorry, say for no, no, no. It's it's all good, man. Because I I did I perused a lot of different stuff. There's um, to to steer it close to something again that um, I know a little bit better, and I know some of uh, uh, the listeners might know better. Amorphous, yeah, from Finland, who awesome. start started out a very guttural, um, brutal, but also melodic and and dark atmospheric uh, death metal bands, Carillion right. Isthmus, and um, the privilege privilege, pri- privilege of evil, of evil EP. Um, where a lot of people, maybe more of my inclination, lose them is uh, what Tales from a Thousand Lakes. That's Tales the album, right? That was ninety four, early ninety four. Early ni- and that I d- made a huge impression on me. That album. Yeah, and it was a, again another album that was fairly controversial because they went a certain way in their style. Right. Um, some people didn't want to follow them. I I enjoy the song uh, Black Winter's Day. I right. enjoy some of the that material was a from that album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy some of the material and something um, I wanted to bring up too. Black Winter's Day and some of the the way that some of the keyboards uh, in that album remind me in the way that keyboards are used in Gray Skies Fallen a little right. bit. It's more of a kind of a, a progressive way, um, maybe informed by like. Uh, jazz and, and and stuff from the seventies more than like this this very dramatic uh, classical symphonic yeah symphonic effect well, yeah our old keyboardist Craig uh, Craig Rossi he used to he used to switch back and forth he would do some symphonic stuff too when it would be called for but yeah that amorphous record I know was a big influence on both of us because that was we went to high school together we were listening to music together at that time a lot and that came out in senior year. And that was, yeah, you could hear his influence from the keyboard aspect. And that, I always loved that about that record. It was still, if you listen to it, guttural death metal vocals mm-hmm. over doom metal. So, I mean, I don't know how... Which makes it a do. lot more palatable for me when the right. vocals are, are brutal. I think that's why I enjoy Disembowelment and, uh, you know, some, some of those yeah. bands. As long as the vocals are brutal, man, you know, it's like... I, it, I, clean vocals are harder for me to wrap my head around, but you know when it's when it's done right, man. Amorphous has been through many um, many lineups. Vocalists, the two guitar players have been together forever since they were kids, and uh, 
They got another vocalist after Tales from a Thousand Lakes. They put out an album called Elegy, which was prog, uh, doom. Uh, I love that record. After that, they kind of drifted for me with this other singer. Then around 2005, they got the current singer, who you got to check out Modern Amorphous, the new record that came out last year. It's, it's very, you know, he's a very good death metal singer, in my opinion. He's got the low growls and it's powerful. It's just progressive and melodic, but still heavy and, and, and folkish, too, at mm-hmm. the same time. They're a good band, man. They've just evolved and, you know, over the course of 30 years, basically. Yeah, they have a lot of material. Don't they also have uh, an older EP or album? It's, it's Maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. My Can't Tell? Right, that was from Elegy. That was from the Elegy record, so it was like 96. That that was the single from that album. There was a great a great song. Oh, it's just a song. Is, but it's, it's they just... do two versions. They do a heavy version, and then they did an acoustic version, also from that record. It was both on the same record, and then they did a single for that. I think I was talking about the acoustic version because I was just trying to point out kind of like the diversity in their sound and a lot of different things they've explored. Yeah. But what I'm getting at too is in this modern era, in the last few years, some of these bands have come back and they're kind of returning to a more brutal sound, like. The, the last Paradise Lost record. The last few, they've totally gone back to their doom death style that they, you know, helped create. Mm-hmm. The new album is so heavy, it's called Medusa. It's really good. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I also, I, I didn't hear it all. I previewed the, the latest Rotting Christ uh, album that came out, and that seemed very raw and, and uh, black metal, too. And uh, I, I just wonder, because nowadays the climate is old school. A lot of the younger generation are going old school. We talk about it a lot. I think it's great. I think it's good for the scene. Yeah. It's healthy for the music. Um, and a, a lot of older bands are coming back. So I think some of these bands that are still around, and they've they've experimented left, right, in the middle, all, all over the place, and then now they're coming back to kind of... Uh, Tie, maybe come full circle or tie in their older influences with their new influences. Sprinkle in the roots a little bit. It's great. Dude. Now, I've talked about Paradise Lost. You brought up Amorphous. Are there any other bands that, that come to mind when we're talking about older bands that have kind of come back to that sound? Well, Anathema, even though they're long gone as far as metal, these couple years ago they played a show, a one-off. It was it was their old doom metal stuff. Mm-hmm. It was in uh, England, so I wish I could have seen it. But, you know, it was one of these things where you're not going to see that again. Kind of situation. A band that had totally shifted styles that went back and redid it. Um, but, yeah, there's, uh, there's bands that are kind of going back to their old style, like we were talking about earlier off the air. My Dying Bride, how they went clean vocals for a few albums, and that was a big deal because they abandoned death vocals. <laughs> and then yeah. when that came back... It was a, it was another big deal. Oh, they're back doing it, and they could mix it up, you know. Now, current, my die bride, he does both. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah, and, you know, and well, they're still, they're still good. I, and I think that's a, that's a good because I do want to segue into Gray Skies Fall and talk a little bit more. And I think that's a good way because uh, you guys have a long catalog. Right now, you're preparing your eighth release, correct? Yeah, yeah pretty much. And technically, your fifth or sixth album. Fifth full length. Uh, technically, mm-hmm. and then we have two EPs and a seven-inch spread out over the since '99. Yeah, and it's a lot to to digest, especially for people who might be new to the band. But um, with that in mind, I kind of revisited the catalog. You know, I, I, it's it's no secret. You, I, Sal, your drummer, has been in Buckshot Facelift with me since 2005, and you joined Buckshot Facelift in 2012. I'm been friends with you guys. I know the the history of the band and the catalog, but I did revisit it this week. And something that struck out to me is that the the introspective EP, 
which um, is two regular length songs, and the third song, the title track, right, is, tw- yes. is uh, it, it's actually 21 minutes and 12 seconds. That's right. It evens out. Uh, we made it. It was 21 minutes and 14 seconds, and then I asked our engineer, Keith, to cut two seconds off to make it 21-12 as a little tribute to Rush. But unfortunately, on iTunes and um, Spotify, it shows up as 21 minutes and 11 seconds, so that bothers me slightly. They didn't get the fucking reference. Yeah, yeah they Come don't. Come on, guys. Well, YouTube's got it right, so. Oh, that's that, good. That YouTube, yeah, check yeah. it out there. It really shows there's like people who listen to Rush and, and people who don't listen to Rush. There's only two people, you know. That's right. And but, this, if you hear the keyboard on this part, it's kind of rushy sounded, you know. Yeah, well, that, that's why I bring up introspective, because I think for people who aren't familiar with the band, it's a great jumping point. Because um, you guys, uh, your first two albums, uh, Fate of Angels and Tomorrow's in Doubt, have a very metal, aggressive sound. Although, you know, you do mix in more melodic moments. Um, and then Two Way Mirror, you, got, you guys went very melodic. Um, very trippy, kind of yeah. just... Uh, yeah, very, very... I was well, into Radiohead at the time, so it was a lot of mellow kind of Yeah, mo- maybe melodic isn't the word, just a very laid-back atmosphere, more right. of a um, of a, a rock, rock atmosphere, less like metal. rock kind of stuff we were doing. Yeah, and introspective in 2012, right? Right. You jump back into a, a way more aggressive, concise, like 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 um, uh, a metal songwriting direction, in, in my opinion. Right. The uh, EP right before this, it was called The Long, the Long Came Life. Mm-hmm. That was more in the two-way mirror sound uh, for the most part, but then there was a death metal song that appeared on there. So it was kind of like the introduction back to the old style, and we kind of uh, on this album here, we just um, it was we were a three-piece for this one. It was just myself, Craig the keyboard player, and Sal. We you know we we go through a bunch of lineup changes. It's been the uh, it's been a, a thing with this band ever since 1996. So it is what it is. So we were a three-piece at this time, and uh, it's one of my favorite albums that we've done, for my, sure. Mine, too. And uh, I just add that Dave Case of Helmet and uh, Afterbirth, the band I'm in, play, played bass on this recording. Yes, he uh, he helped us out in a pinch, and he sounds awesome on this album. So, I, so I agree. Who, and Who is doing vocals on this? That's me. That is you. Yeah, so on this record, I play all guitars and vocals. Yeah, and um, it, it, it sounds great. Thanks. It's, yeah, 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 I just throw it out there. I just think that the production is 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 uh, right in line. Dave Case on bass, it really brings something to the record. Um, of course, uh, you know he was just doing a session work, and after this album, Tom Ander of Buckshot Face of joins and conjoins the two bands even more. Right. Um, but so, so now there's three of us. In both bands, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a whole thing, but but just getting back to introspection, uh, introspection for a minute, uh, or it, is it intros- it's introspective? introspective? I have a habit of saying the wrong thing when the when the when the mic is rolling, but um, it's just such a great jumping off point because if you like, he, he, Tom knows, but um, the it's a great jumping off point because there's those aggressive moments and you can go forward and go into the many sides of truth and Earthwalker. Right. And and go right into the more aggressive dark material, or if you like the more um, melodic, psychedelic, uh, 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 lighter moments, like you this can. Part right here. Yeah, you can, you can backtrack, and that "Along Came Life" EP to me personally, my personal opinion, is the highlight of your uh, more atmospheric, softer era. Right. You know, to, uh, to re- you know, to put it respectfully. That was a comeback after four years plus of not doing anything. So it was like the first thing we recorded. 
there was a long gap there. Well, again, so talking about a lot of lineup changes, yeah. a lot of personal life events. No this doubt. is a band of, uh, you know, all blue collar guys that have jobs and families. Right, that's why different. we don't tour pretty much. I mean, it's hard to get, you know. Well, I mean, we're not signed or anything. Well, it tends to be a theme in extreme music, though. You know, because you have a niche audience, it's hard, it's hard to, to distribute the way that would right. be ideal. You know, Absolutely. and. And there's an influx, too. I mean, you can call that a bad thing or a good thing, but there's a lot of bands doing this stuff. It's competition in a way, but also it's brotherhood in another way, you know? That's true. Yeah. And we got lucky in the beginning. I mean, when our first album came out, Don Decker from uh, Nightfall Records out of uh, Minnesota, he had a band called Anal Blast. So last week you were talking about Anal Birth and Anal Cunt. So now we're going to talk Anal Blast. Which, incidentally, uh, wasn't Joey Jordanson from Slipknot yeah. in that band? I that think one Paul point? Gray was in that band, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah there, there's, so, there's, there's a fact for you. So go on. Uh, he had heard us, and lo- he really liked our album. And he, luckily, he was the booker for M- M- uh, Milwaukee Metal Fest. And also lucky, that's the year they were expanding. Instead of having just Milwaukee, they were having New Jersey, L.A., which we were supposed to play, but... Uh, we'll talk about. I'll talk to Sal later about that. That was one of the, the two fests we had to not play because of Sal. Shout to Fergus. Yeah, you know it's going back to 1999, but uh, and now it's 2019. Yeah, so, so uh, a lot of lo- long running beefs uh, and grudges in the band too, but, man. You know, it's, a lot of love, a yeah. lot of love too, a lot of smacks on the ass. You know, you're doing a good job, kid. All right, so this uh, this introspective EP. Um, it's it's more aggressive. It's more of a return to like the the death doom direction. But there's also kind of a psychedelic, progressive, yeah, progressive. atmosphere. I, I would say with the synthesizers, you guys are choosing. Like I was talking before, with like the kind of amorphous uh, sounding synthesizers, right? More proggy sounding on this uh, record. And the reason it's arguably possibly an album, not an EP, though, is the third track, the title track. Like I said, it's it's 21 minutes and 12 seconds long. What was the writing process like for that? Was that the first time you guys wrote a song that long? Well, that's interesting, because that song, so it came out in 2012. We recorded it late 2011, but most of it had been written back in 2005. During a, a period, 2006, we had a monthly room in Staten Island, um, right near the Verrazano Bridge. It's, it's, a, it's a studio... It's just a building with monthly rooms. It's been there for a hundred years. I was there one time, long before you ever joined Buckshot Facelift. Um, maybe probably when you were writing that. It was probably around uh, two thousand five or six, right after was, Sal joined Buckshot. I vaguely remember that. I do vaguely. And, and was this um, was this the studio where you guys uh, were ran into or, or, or shared this, the same building with members of Wu Tang Clan? Well, uh, Sal claims. I mean. It's the same. It's the same neighborhood. It's it's basically in Stapleton, uh, which is in on Bay Street in Staten Island, and is okay. I think Wu Tang. I, I I think they might be from Stapleton, or some of them came from there. Yeah, I think Ghostface yeah. talks about that, if I'm not mistaken. But Sal, he he says uh, he saw one of them outside the the building or whatever. So. <laughs> All right, so we got to get Fergus on here to confirm yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, one. it's right. one of these okay. stories. Allegedly, allegedly. All right, so all right, so getting back to to the long song, you guys wrote it in two thousand five. Yeah, and, and bits and pieces. Most of mm-hmm. it was written back then, and it was going to be a long song at that time. And then 
when we were doing introspective flash forward yeah fast forward seven years later or so however many years ten years later no seven years later um i'm really really bad really bad at math but uh he um we all it was just me and sal and craig at that time and we had these riffs and we said let's let's finally use them and if you listen back to the old recordings from 2006 just studio tapes it was very very fast and black metal sounding and we we kind of we kind of kept that um style for this song for the most part you know it goes through um ups and downs and style changes throughout the whole song basically mm-hmm. in 21 minutes and so it's it's long we, we, we were gonna play a live once but it's hard to do that sorry can i get a name <laughs> on that again <laughs> i, w- I want to play it for the uh that song is introspective right. yeah the, the title, uh, title track title track of the 2012 ep and what i feel marks um a, a split in the the history of gray skies falling as a listener um it, like I said, it brings back the more aggressive sound in a lot of ways from your, your uh, more melodic and, a- and atmospheric Along Came Life EP and Two Way Mirror album. Now with Introspective, it's more aggressive. And then after that recording, um, very shortly after that recording, you're joined on bass by Tom Anderer, longtime Buckshot facelift bass player, and Joe Sanchi. That's right. Um, a local friend of ours from Long Island joined you guys on guitar, and you recorded... Uh, the Many Sides of Truth, which came out on Paragon Records. Yes, in right? 2004. Um, 2014, I, right? 2014, sorry. <laughs> Shit. Gotcha. But I was thinking about Joe Sanchi because Joe Sanchi was in Gray Skies Fallen in 2002 mm-hmm. for maybe a year or so. And we didn't we didn't record anything at that time. And <clears throat> Excuse me. We didn't really uh, use anything from that time, but we had a good time jamming back then. And... Um, Ten years later, after Tom joined Gray Skies Fallen, we needed... It was just me, Sal, and Craig, like I had said, and I joined Buckshot, and Tom was there, and we needed a bass player, and Tom was in my car one night, and we were listening to Introspective, and he said, oh, that's pretty good, and I was like, yo, man, you want to join the band? And, <laughs> and then he came into the band, and at that time, we brought Joe Sanchi back. Sanchi and Tom had worked together also previously on a project called Cell Phone, a little acoustic thing. Yeah, a cell phone. Um, I believe you can still get it on Bandcamp, uh, and we pass out CDs at Buckshot shows, but that's such an incredible instrumental yeah. kind of post-rock uh, project that, that, that came out in, in the early 2000s that yeah. those guys did. And it shows you how interwoven our little scene is, too, that those guys had a band before the two of them joined Grace that's Guys right. Falling together. Yep. And um, then uh, we, we recorded Many Sides of Truth, which was the first album with another guitarist, other than myself, well, I, I had appeared on everyone, but Joe, our old guitar player Joe, had appeared on all the other albums. So this was the first guitar player. This is the first record that had a second guitarist, a third guitarist, as you want to look at it. But it was different for us. But it was a it was a different sound. Sanchi brought a different uh, sound to it, style, and we wrote songs and uh, pumped that out as well as well as the Earthwalker EP, seven inch. Yeah, I wanted to talk about um, the Many Sides of Truth album and the Earthwalker uh, two-song seven-inch EP because that is some of my favorite material. Um, Obviously, I'm a little biased because three members of Buckshot Facelift are are on those. But at the same time, uh, as a listener, objectively, it has, like you said, uh, whatever Sanchi 
and uh, Tom brought to the atmosphere. It's it's a much uh, more aggressive, dark, and I would say death metal and black metal influenced uh, uh, album and um uh, or or, or era of the band, you know, album and EP. Uh, what what do you think Tom and and Sanchi brought into the mix uh, that, that that changed things? Well, Tom brought in his like huge bass sound. Actually, he was the first guy that we had jammed with that that played with a pick, so it was a little different right off the bat. And I was like, oh, this sounds really good. It sounds aggressive, and it, you know, he brought in his writing style too, which from Buckshot we had become comfortable writing with each other by that time. And uh, even though it was only six months into my my um, stint in Buckshot when Tom joined the uh, Grace Guys, but we were already comfortable with each other. So the transition was easy. But Joe Sanchi brings his whole style, which is, uh, you know, Joe's a big Doom guy, and he's also into technical stuff, and, you know, his whole um, sound combined with our stuff. and kinda like, He's kind of like a mysterious yes. black metal monk. That, yes, that, he's that, a dweller that. of the trees. He's a man of trees. Yeah. Well, a man our, of trees. A lot, yes. of, a lot of us are. <laughs> yeah, basically. But, allegedly. But, um... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, but then Joe Sanchi, uh, you know, obviously a hardworking family man himself. Uh, he, he he leaves the band at right. some point after uh, well, these recordings. We right? recorded um, the uh, the seven inch, and at that point we had um, Sanchi and Craig Rossi, a longtime keyboard player. They both uh, left, so then it was just myself, Sal, and Tom, and. Um, now you know we're 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 talking about some things uh, coming up after this new album comes out that I don't want to really talk about right now, but mm-hmm. perhaps uh, something there happening there with uh, former members and whatnot. So we we shall see. But uh, so after that, um, we just basically got our stuff back together. It took a little while, and uh, now we have our new album that we're uh, putting putting the finishing touches on. Now it's just going to swaddle for mixing. That's right. You recorded with Keith Moore as usual of yes. uh, Audio Playground, your usual producer and the Buckshot Facelift producer as well. Right. And the tracks are getting sent, like you said, to Dan Swano to mix and master. Yes, this is something that I've been hoping, uh, talking to Dan about for 20 years. Back when the first record came out, I was hoping he would do it. Back on uh, email, we would email each other from my my uh, dorm room at Five Towns College. <laughs> it wasn't so- really a dorm room. They didn't even have dorms. We had to stay in a hotel. Which is another story, but well, that was actually uh, awesome. That sounds was, kind of fun. Actually. It was awesome, dude. Hotel parties. Yeah, we had college. our own. Yeah, hell yeah. So that was cool, and um, so we were talking to each other back then. It just never happened, but this is the first time we're, we're going to work together, and um, I think it's going to sound great because I'm really psyched how this record came uh, came out so far. The recording process, and actually, uh, our uh, our man Big Will over here is appearing on on that album in a guest capacity on a track as well. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, man. so it yeah. sounded brutal and sounded good. Do a little uh, counterpart with my part on vocal there. Yeah, those little beauty and the beasts. Yeah, little beast and the beast. <laughs> yeah, you can figure out who's the beauty and who's the beast. Yeah, but uh, but um, yeah. So this this newer album, you, uh, this new album you've been recording, it's just uh, as a three piece in the studio. Yeah, correct? once again, yes. You have sole uh, sole control over the guitars. Right. Uh, Tom on bass, Sal on drums, and there's right. there's no synthesizers on this recording. Right. This is the first uh, album that we've done. First recording we've done without without any keyboards. So it's good. right off the bat, it's going to be a little different. But um, I look at this album as a mix of our first album and our last album, kind of. 
Is it, is it fair to say it might be more uh, more aggressive in nature? It's uh, this album is 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 more doom. Uh, mm-hmm. This is more of a doom album. There's there's death metal parts on there, uh, but not like if you want to go to introspective or tomorrow's in doubt. There's more melodic death metal sound on that those albums. This this has that, but it's more of a doom album. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of channeled the first record uh, back in the day. We we kind of went back to that sound a little bit. And talking about back in the day, I did want to ask you. Um, you guys kind of kind of stick out in the scene, uh, the New York City '90s metal scene. Like I was talking about before, you know, you had uh, typo negative, but there wasn't really a big market for that in our region. What did you guys experience early on in the beginning, getting out and trying to perform shows? Was that was there uh, like positive feedback? Was there a little kickback from the no. local metal scene? Or no, there was no there was no metal scene in '97, '98. It was rough. We it's all hardcore. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot. Of, we saw Carcass. I saw Carcass at Lemoore in '94 for the Hard Work tour, and there was five hardcore bands that opened for Carcass, <laughs> and one of them took yeah. the, the Carcass poster and wiped his ass with it, uh. and he was like, "She's what metal, blah blah." And I, and I remember sitting there, I was like, "I should fucking throw a bottle at this guy." Like, yeah, interesting time for the genres, you know. Yeah, what, so yeah. I mean, when we started playing, there was nobody at our show. It's basically like today, uh-huh. pretty much like a, like a current situation. But well, uh, but we were younger then. <laughs> we didn't really <laughs> we didn't really know better. Well, you guys have that's something I also want to talk about with the, this um, this later era of, of Gray Skies Fallen. Since uh, Tom has joined and many sides of truth, you guys did play a number of shows. You guys were at St. Vitus a few times. Yeah, you guys uh, did. Uh, play. We played with Amorphous last year in uh, 2017, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. It was a good show. Swallow yeah. the Sun. Um, we were going to play with Manila Road, who was a, a you know old school metal band, and I was I was really looking forward to that. But we had unfortunate uh, something incident occur, so we couldn't play that show, which was a bummer. And then of course, the singer, actually the guitarist, the main guy of that band, passed away. Shortly after that, so rest I'm never going to get to play with those dudes. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, rest in peace. Mark Shelton. Yeah, he was uh, my first band with Joe, the old uh, guitar player. Joe D'Angelo, Joe the original uh, guitar player. Co founder with, with me and Chris Matobano. We formed the band in 96, 97. But uh, <clears throat> our first band was called Crystal Logic, and which was a Manila Road album, and wow. I was planning on. You know, shouting that out from stage, and I had a whole thing worked out, but it didn't work out. Wow. wow. So, yeah, we missed out on that. But, yeah, I mean, we get some good shows uh, to this day. Uh, luckily, some promoters out there, like Ed Farsity, he likes us. I was going to say, maybe now would be a good time to shout out Ed Farsity and uh, Wendigo Productions, yeah, man. right? Yeah. Uh, no, he used to be with them. Now it's Armageddon Productions, his own company that he started. Um, he's the man. He likes he likes both of our bands, so he hooks us up. Absolutely, man. Um, Armageddon you know, Productions. And um, with, with this new album, we're trying to get a good live lineup together and uh, get out there, and also shop it because we're, we're we're gonna record it and we're gonna spend a lot of money out of we're only a three piece. <laughs> yeah, know? that's that's one thing. As the members go down, you have less money to contribute to the uh, right. You got three yeah. guys in multiple bands. Yeah. And we want to do vinyl, and our vinyl is going to be double LP because it's a one-hour hour-long record. So this is expensive. So we're going to try to see what happens, see if somebody out there will put it out. But we know it's hard because we don't tour, you know. But uh, 
we could definitely play the odd festival and sell a whole bunch of records after a good performance at one of these fests. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we're down for that like we used to do back in the day when we were 22 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a big thing when you're working, and especially uh, some of you guys are married and have families and things like things of that nature. So it's yeah, it I mean, getting easier as you get older. Absolutely. I mean, we're we're good for if somebody called us up and said, "Can you do two weeks?" We could definitely do that. We could find a way to do that. But well, the question is, can you do two weeks with Sal? <laughs> well, that's the real that's, <laughs> that's the real question. That's that's, a, that's quite a proposition. I've done 20, uh, 21 years. He's the prison guard. I feel like I've been in prison twenty one <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, a long, uh, long running band, long history, and um, I'm very excited about this this latest era. Well, I should say, I feel like you guys are even going into a new era now. Um, with without the synthesizers, and I, I was able to see you guys live uh, before Joe Sanchi left. You guys played the Red River Inn a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, Peg. Yeah, and it's I got to shows. see you guys without the synthesizers live, and it had um, it just I get taking out that element added a, a more of a raw traditional metal sound, and I, I liked that. So I'm really interested to hear this new material and to see how things work out with your new lineup and um, who you guys uh, eventually recruit. And yeah, we're real proud of know. this. We really think everyone's gonna like it. As far as if you like our old stuff, I think you'll like this stuff. It's uh, to us. It's all right. So our whole influence on this album it was was 1987 Def Leppard. Glad you brought it up. I would have forgot to ask you about it. Yep. <laughs> so, like, you know, Hysteria, Def Leppard, you know, when people say, oh, they were horrible, this is the horrible. It's still, you know, it is, but we wanted to be Def Leppard, but uh, Doom and Death Metal, even though it sounds nothing like it, we channeled Steve Clark <laughs> well, and all these dudes. Sa- Sal explained it to me that it's all about those guitar leads and, and uh, harmonies in the guitars. That's that's true. Like, yeah, uh, which are I mean, you know, Def Leppard. If you really go back and listen to Def Leppard, man, there's some really catchy. Oh, totally, especially early Def Leppard. Yeah, it just grips your soul, you know. Yeah, man, they were great. Another guy that left too soon. He, uh, he, I just I forgot what happened. Drinking or something. Yeah, he was like yeah. 30 years old. Yeah, that, that, awesome that. guitarist, and um, so yeah, I went up to do a guitar solo a few weeks ago to finish the uh, recording. Because I forgot to do a solo at this one part. <laughs> and I was like, this is going to be Def Leppard. And I was like, yeah, after I did it. And it sounded, even though it sounds nothing like Def Leppard. It's in spirit, though. Yeah, it's the emotion that of, that, we, that we feel. Even though we're not the hugest Def Leppard fans, I don't understand how it came about. My my deaf dying bride. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> wow. All right, man. Well, Mixed with Candlemas. Well, so I mean, a, a long-running band, um, and you know, anyone who's uh, who know who might who might be familiar with my work uh, by by way of you know this podcast, or be familiar with this podcast by way of my work, whatever the case is, uh, and knows Buckshot Facelift might want to hear the bass player, uh, one of the guitarists and drummer of Buckshot Facelift playing very epic, uh, like regal death doom metal, something completely different uh, uh, and on a completely different foot from from Buckshot Facelift. Gray Sky's Fallen. As I said before, if you want kind of a quick introduction, the introspective EP, in my personal opinion, is a great place to start. Yeah, and then go forward from there, from the uh, many sides of truth. That's a good, definitely a good place to start. Go, yeah, because you get a taste of the, the era that came shortly after that with many sides of truth, but also um, a taste of what you guys had been through to get there with with the, the incorporating the um, more melodic, atmospheric, and, and even psychedelic elements into the band. So great, you know, great sky's falling. Um, and also, thank you so much for talking with us about the history of this European doom metal movement, not to be confused with like the stoner doom. Right. 
type of movement. Um, I, you know, I'm not saying that's not good or anything. There's some good mm-hmm. bands. Uh, I love Trouble and uh, The Obsessed. You know, with Wino and Saint Vitus and. You know, but in those bands, Spawn, Sleep, you know, yeah. a lot of good, you know, that's good stuff too. But it's totally different. It's you know. Well, that's that's uh, that's part of what we discussed coming into this episode is that when you say doom, you talk, you could be talking about right. a lot of different variations. It's just like of metal. saying metal. I like metal. You can listen yeah. to death metal or it could be power metal. Two totally different things. Some people yeah. might even call like I hate God doom metal. Or so, like it could, like just because right. it's slow, it's doom. You know, or, Crowbar. Yeah, you could be talking about a lot of different things when you say <clears> doom metal. So what I always call this is. Like Euro Doom right. or European Doom Metal, you know, and this was a, a it's definite movement. Different than the whole um, uh, American, American slow, right. slow yeah. grinding stuff. Right. You know, Sludgy. you have a different melodic quality that is, like you said before, it's epic. It's, yeah, my dying uh, bride was using violins. You know, that was great at the time. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I definitely see it as being informed a lot by goth, uh, the True. goth music of the eighties. Synthesizer-based music, and then later on, a lot of these bands also incorporated like experimental electronic elements, and they were, um, you know, they, you know, they were like the '90s was a funny time. You had Aphex Twin, you had Marilyn Manson, you had a, a lot of interesting music with synthesizers and samplers coming out, and these bands were trying to, I think, pull some of that energy in. And in Europe, it was obviously received a lot different um, than it was in the United States. So there's a lot to go back and, and garner from some of these bands. Yeah, like in '97, My Dying Bride came here. It was the only American tour they ever did, and they opened for Dio. And they played New York, and they did not. Dio did not play. It was just My Dying Bride headlining at Coney Island High. And wow. this band called Bile opened for them. And Bile from Long Island. They were like a industrial, yeah. Yeah. not not my deal, not my kind of thing. And I was hoping they would have better, you know, other bands that more upright, my, my dying bride style, whatever. But they didn't. I got knocked out at that show. I got my head split open. Cool. Kid kicked me in the head. I went face down three times. And, and I still woke up. And as soon as I heard the violins being tuned, I remember I was like totally concussed, and I was covered in blood. But they were my favorite band at the time, so I wasn't missing that. And that was an amazing show. Coney Island High in the village. It was like 120 degrees in, that, in there. Jeez. I don't know Jesus if you've ever been there because they closed around 2000, what, 2002, 2001? No, I never got out there. That was one of those places that was kind of revered as I was a little bit younger and right. some of my older friends had gotten out to more, but um, it was a little too far for me to get out to as, yeah, as a teenager. You had mentioned about the uh, keyboard elements, the industrial mm-hmm. kind of stuff, so bile... They stick out when I got my head smashed open. Wow, yeah, they were actually... I talked about the band, um, the, I think they're from the Netherlands, Bile, the Gorgrind band, uh, uh, the episode with Paulo, but there was a Bile from Long Island that um, I think well, I think a few of them were actually around Huntington when I was in high school because older people I knew knew them and talked about them or whatever. They were more of like a industrial... Right. Creepy Nine kind of weird band. Heavier, but you know, a heavier kind of. I don't know. I don't know what that shit is. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know, it wasn't. Again, I, I was, I was trying to explore gore grind and death metal yeah. at that point. But seriously, yeah. <laughs> wow, man, crazy story. I'm glad you're. Uh, glad you lived to tell the yeah, tale. Yeah, it was, it was. I was definitely. I definitely had a concussion. That was one of the three or four times I've been knocked out. My dying Rick. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was worth it though, because <laughs> they haven't been around since then. I believe they played. MDF, or they were going to, and uh, uh-huh. they've been around like once or twice in one-offs, but wow. you know that's still like a legendary show for them as far as New York. Yeah, Coney Island. Hi, Ronnie from um, Malignancy. Uh, when we interviewed him, he talked a little bit too about how uh, at that point all of the metal bands that would have been playing huge venues 
were getting squished into venues like Coney Island High, you know, because the metal scene was so... Yeah. Uh, it was shrinking, and it was just left down to some of the diehards because hardcore was such a big thing in the late 90s. Mm. I mean, Maiden was playing the Manhattan Center, I think, or... Yeah. Hammerstein Ballroom or something, you know. I mean, which is cool, but it was Maiden. They play arenas. Yeah, stadiums. well, yeah. I mean, yeah. you had you had new metal, you had hardcore, <laughs> you had a lot going on in that industrial. Wish I seen it there, but yeah, yeah. Well, well. Um, again, we appreciate uh, you kind of enlightening you, us man. to a lot of this stuff, and um, yeah. hopefully, the listeners will check out Gray Skies Fallen and check out a lot of these bands that went all different directions. Um, you know, if you if you're not familiar, familiarize yourself with. Edge of Sanity and uh, Amorphous and uh, maybe if you're one of those guys like me who stays in, I only like the demo. I only like the first album. You know, maybe explore a little bit past that. Tiamat. The uh, Gathering. The Gathering. Uh, Samael, if I yeah, said it right. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. we talked a lot about Catatonia and October Tide, um, and Anathema, Paradise Lost, My Dying Bride. Peaceville Records is actually just yeah. probably a good record label to, to review and look back on yeah a lot of to, great to a lot of great classic music. albums from that from that period and before we go I just real quick wanted to talk about since we were mentioning Tom Anderer earlier he and I have another project called Brave the Waters mm-hmm. which we just released a record digitally it's a instrumental atmospheric music it's not metal at all it's just us jamming on a guitar and bass with a lot of reverb and uh, that album came out digitally and it's coming out on vinyl in April. It's on Bandcamp? It is on Bandcamp right now. It's on Spotify right now. It's Chapter 2, uh, Days of Solitude. It's all instrumental. It's getting some pretty good write-ups in places. Metal sites have been reviewing it, saying good things about it. So I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, plug away, man. Brave, again, brave, brave the, the Waters. waters. Yep. Very, um, very uh, mellow, atmospheric, uh, instrumental project from yeah. uh, Tom and Rick of Buckshot Facelift and Gray Skies Fallen. Yeah, so we've, we've done a bunch of projects together since we met. And we got another couple more in the bag, ba- not in the bag, but in, down the pike, perhaps. Glad you guys hit it off, man. Yeah, yeah, it's worked out pretty good. I was about to, you know, to get into it, I was dealing with a lot of stuff at that point, especially with band people's, people in Gray Skies Fallen. It's... I don't want to mention a drummer or anything, <laughs> but uh, I was about to hang it up. So, you know, once once I joined Buckshot, it kind of turned things around for me because it brought me back to wanting to play again. So, it it did a lot, and um, it did a lot for Buckshot Facelift. Uh, right around the same time, not to turn this into the Buckshot Facelift historical uh, uh, episode, but. Um, right around that time, Paulo had recorded um, the Elder's Rasp album with us, and then he left the band, and we were stuck with no guitarist. And um, you and Terrell joined on the uh, like the same night. Um, that you, you, I don't think you guys knew each other, and you both came down to the rehearsal <clears throat> studio. Yeah, and that was hard to believe. It's seven years ago now. Yeah, it was the day. It was three days before Hurricane Sandy, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. I just showed up. Terrell showed up. And Paulo had tabbed out the songs for me, so I learned them over the course of a few weeks, and I was tight as fuck on those songs. And I pulled up in my brand-new Camaro, and then that Camaro got washed washed into the ocean, oh, practically. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But yeah. yeah, I remember that. That was uh, October of 2012, and uh, since then, you know, we, I said, oh... Here's another band that Sal's playing drums in. Let me join that band. Yay. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's, it is a quite the depart uh, 
aesthetically, you know, it's nothing right. alike, and that, <clears throat> right, and that's, I, that's good for any musician to be playing different styles. Yeah, totally, and stuff. yeah, totally. And I wasn't a huge grind guy, you know. Certain bands I like, Daniel Cogs and stuff, but I like things, yeah, like Napalm, the old Napalm Death, <clears throat> Napalm Death, and such. But uh, you know, I, I try to adapt, even bring my own little style to to Buckshot. Which you can hear on the last two records. Terrell brings his sound. We all throw in like a pot and uh, see what comes out. All, all, you did uh, Ulster Island, right? Yes. Yeah, and also the album. EP before that was yeah. Living Ghost of the North Shore. That was our first album. Yeah. Terrell and I did. Mm-hmm. And um, All good stuff. And yeah. you guys don't have to say it because I'm not in the band. Thanks, man. You know? <laughs> Thanks. But yeah, I mean, just I'm just making the point that that was in 2012. Um, it's crazy. Uh, the, you know, the way both bands just kind of filled each other's, uh, you know, voids of, right. of members, man. Yeah. And I, I feel like it propelled both bands in a lot of ways since then. Absolutely. So, I agree. Uh, yeah, but, um, but yeah, moving on, man. I think that would be a good time to segue into talking about albums, old and new, and recommending them to the listeners. Let's do it. All right, so Rick, what did you pick as your uh, fairly newer album to tell people about? So this one is the latest album from Desultory, a band I got into early 90s. They had an album called Bitterness, which I had on CD. I got in the, in the dollar bin at Zigzag Records in Staten Island. Shout out RIP to the best record store in Staten Island and also Brooklyn. A great legendary store. But their new record, Desultory's new record called Through Aching Aeons, it's really, you know, back to basic Swedish, heavy Swedish death metal with the uh, HM2 pedal cranked up, and it sounds great. Yeah, I uh, I remember listening to this um, a lot when it came out um, the last two years, and it's it's great. It's, they're an underrated band. Um, I remember listening to their older releases uh, back in the day. They, they're right up there with, like, your, your Dismember and Entombed exactly. and Carnage totally. and all that stuff, and this album's kind of... It's like a return to, to form. The production's great. The songwriting is great. There's some Tight really, as fuck, yeah. Yeah, really good atmospheric, melodic moments. They had two classic records when they came out. Third album, they kind of went with the sounds of the day, I think I would say. It was, it was called Swallow the Snake. Not a great album, in my opinion, but uh, then they, they broke up and came back with a vengeance. New album, latest album is great. Yeah, I was, I was real happy to uh, hear that these guys were back and to check out the album, that it was just kind of a return to form. Yep. The production itself is clean, but it it, it harkens back to that time. It's like sure. if they recorded, if they went in a time machine and brought some good equipment, or they brought pro, a good Pro Tools rig with them, right? And it's, recorded those yeah. old bands. It's a fantastic blend of the old school sound yeah. with kind of a modern push. That's which yep, is nice. exactly. Listen to those cymbals, you know. They just they, they cut Clear. through, you know, and and uh, it's. It's, it's it's fast, it's aggressive, it's, it it's death metal, you know what I mean? It, it's great. It's old school Swedish death yeah. metal, man, Not which totally I love. Punches. And uh, speaking of which, I may as well, uh, trying to, for the last five years, put together a Swedish death metal band myself, even though I'm not from Sweden, and uh, we're going to try to get that together. It's called Crimson Dusk. And Will's gonna do some vocals, all the vocals on that. Allegedly, no, no. We're that's, gonna get some no, shit. That, that's that's true. That's true. We're gonna get some shit together. It's gonna it's gonna sound like this, and it's gonna sound sick. And there's gonna be a lot of good musicians contributing to it. So that's also down the line. So we may as well mention that now. Yeah, look out, look out for that, man. I can't wait. I've been bugging this guy. Are you writing? Are you writing? Yeah, What's going on with yeah. You? So that's that's getting done now. Every, so every be, time you complain about being in two bands with Sal, I remind you about this. Here's the opera, here's the chance. Here's the chance yeah. to escape. Here's like Alcatraz when when they when they snuck out. 
<laughs> so, so by the way, shout out to Sal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. We, 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 uh, everyone, we've mentioned a lot how, how long we've known this guy. Everyone's got those friends where you bust each other's you know, balls constantly. Try being in a band with a guy for 22 years, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe these guys will know Desultory, man. Crazy old school band coming back at you, man. I, yeah. I, I was, again, I'm just happy to see that they're back. Maybe people kind of explore their older stuff. And um, excellent fucking logo, excellent album cover, too. Totally. Yeah, the album cover's really neat. Yeah. I'm, I'm digging it. it. It's not your typical layout. It's clean cut, but also looks like a folded-ass photograph at the same time. Right. Yeah, it it looks cool. like how um, a behemoth music video usually starts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, there's clouds in the sky, there's somebody in a cloak, you know. Just dirty. Yeah, it's, this is yeah. This is how uh, one of those videos starts. So desultory. Tom, give me something new, man. What do you got for me? What's new? All right, so I found this band called Warp Chamber, hmm. browsing the old Bandcamp, which you you know it's a lot to browse through. And, and uh, I see you've manifested it in physical form this time. That's right. So I really dug this release they did. It's a little demo uh, called Abdication of the Mind. Mm-hmm. This is a. Uh, where, see, I'm, I'm, I didn't do any research this week, but I was listening to this this but week. But you, you bought the tape and yes, supported the I band. Have, I have the tape. I bought it off Bang. Got mail. That's did right. It. Redefining Darkness Records. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that much about the band, but I really, really like this demo. It's 15 minutes. There's two songs. One's, one about six minutes. The other one, nine. So it's a long-form death metal. Ah, they're it's, fast. Yes, very fast. fast. This is raw shit. Super raw, which um, I'm a fan of, especially if it's not blistering. You know, there's like that balance of raw shit just put down on tape as opposed to raw uh, blowing out your head the whole time. No, this is heavy. Like, Kinda you can hear the defeated sanity a little bit. Yeah, you can hear the drums, you can hear the chunk of the guitars. It's not like a static whirlpool, you know what yeah, I mean? Of, of noise. Yeah, this is cool, man. I really love the packaging when you showed it to me. It's got this black ink on uh, red. Uh, uh, paper layout and the tape is uh, the cassette tape itself is all white plastic with the, with the black uh, ink on it. It just looks like something you would get in the nineties. Um, you know, I'm I'm over being pissed off or, or or whatever about people trying to you know look like the nineties and do the nineties thing again, man. It's whatever, man. Metal has always been about uh, nostalgia and, and showing your roots uh, for a lot of people, man. And and this is fucking cool, man. It's it's it looks great, and um, I know when you opened that package and took that out, you wanted to, you wanted to play that, man. Absolutely, and uh, you know I haven't actually played the tape yet. Mm-hmm. You know I got the Bandcamp download, and I put that in my player, and I listen, That's and I've been, I've been enjoying this. I've, I've listened to this little demo about twelve times this week. You know I I dive in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so check the check out this band. Warp Chamber. Actually, let me double check where they're from. Yeah, where are they from? Oh, yeah. I was just gonna ask that. I know they're Love an the American name. band. Yeah, Great Warp Chamber is a good name. Um, Reminds me of the movie The Fly. No, I received this from Ohio, but I don't know if the the boys are from the Ohio. Let's see. Oh man, 
It's probably some something I'm reading on this cassette right now about how this isn't allowed on podcasts. I don't know where these guys are from. Fuck. I fucked up. I'm not a big fan of the format cassette, but I do like looking at them. I mean, listening to I won't pop. I don't have a tape deck, but I love the looking at tapes and holding I, yeah. a tape. I'm a huge fan of the format. I never stopped listening to tapes. Um, still have a lot of my older tapes and some other ones I've collected through the modern era, man. I don't see any... Again, I don't, I'm over it. I don't see any problem with it. Yeah. People want to bring back tapes. People want to bring back vinyl. Bring back 8-tracks. Somebody probably put out Living those, Ghost for us on uh, tape. Yeah, that yeah, was, man. That was nice. I wish yeah. I had a copy. Yeah, lo- local guy, John Santiago from uh, Third Eye Grind uh, Records. We'd like to get him in, him in here one night. He specializes in uh, like limited edition uh, noise tapes. Nice. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, yeah man, nice. it's, it's it's a great format. I personally love it. I love the way tapes sound. I love uh, the way sometimes they degrade over time in just the perfect way for death metal for me. There's kind of a lo-fi, bass-heavy um, uh, warmth to, to, well, to them. Well, you know, that's true. The whole analog. Yeah, I, like that 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 original Afterbirth demo, or uh, you know, old old Suffocation, or just old chunky brutal death metal on a cassette tape. Man, there's just it, something it about it. It is complemented nice with a chunk. It is what it was back then. We would uh, like I was talking about Prodigy. We would I would every few weeks get a package of, of dubs. Yeah, TDK, yeah. TK ninety minute dubs. You get a brick records. Get a brick of blank tapes from Tower Records, man. Oh, yeah. That would be great if you find it if you found it on sale. Oh man, you were Tower Records up. on one ten. Yeah, Tower Records on one ten in Huntington, man. Yep. Well, I got Tower a lot Records, of great rest releases. in peace. Warp yeah. Chamber, you're a pretty new band, so uh, you know, go check this out on Bandcamp. Pick up a cassette uh, or just download it. Whatever, support the band. Check this shit out. All right, let's move along here. <laughs> My pick isn't anything incredibly obscure, um, or, or, or I, I didn't have to dig really deep for this one. It's the new Hate Eternal, man, Upon Desolate Sands. Can we talk about the new Hate Eternal? It's, of course we can. I, I, I'm in love with it, man. It's a great album. Um, I'm a big Hate Never Eternal fan. It. Always have been. Eric Rutan's yeah, the man. He's sick. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic you know, producer as well. Yeah, and I'm, you know, uh, much respect and, and get get better and get the help you need to Pat O'Brien from Cannibal Corpse, respect to that whole situation, but I was very excited when I heard that Eric Rutan was going to be the replacement uh, coming up on this uh, Cannibal Corpse tour. Um, I can't think of anyone more appropriate Um, with the the circumstance at hand uh, Cannibal Corpse has picked a fantastic candidate to get in there and play those fucking leads and shit like Pat O'Brien does, you know? Absolutely, and the only thing that concerns me about it is that, um is there going to be proper touring and support for this new Hate Eternal album? Because this new Hate Eternal album is nothing to be slept upon. I got to see them live uh, when they came through supporting Infernus, the the previous album from a few years ago. Not a bad album by any measure, but at the same time, there's something that Upon Desolate Sands, this latest album, is doing for me that Infernus didn't do for me. Um, they, they build the songs in a different way. Uh, they... 
They, they occasionally uh, slow down the barrage a little bit. There's a little more catchiness to it. There's something that, again, I'm not a guitarist. You know, I'm, I'm not one of these uh, these masterful uh, songwriters. Maybe the words escape me. But there's just something on Upon Desolate Stands that, uh, that speaks to me a little bit more and, and sounds a little more inspired and epic. Uh, than in Furnace, which was a lot more brutal and just kind of a, a run-through of of, um, of non-stop barrage. But this Upon Desolate Sands is just a classic death metal album, and I feel that Hate Eternal has brought, uh, maybe returned a little bit to some of the more atmospheric qualities of, of the guitars and the writing on, on older albums. I'm looking at the lineup for this album right now, and I notice Hans Grossman is on it, which is... Uh He's, he's in a whole bunch of projects, including he played in Necrophagist with Epitaph, the, okay. uh, the famous album. I'm learning right now. I'm yeah. learning right now. I wasn't really too... Uh, I'm not up on the lineup. Again, this album, this Hate Eternal album, uh, it's it's still fairly new, especially to me. So Hans Grossman, absolutely fantastic drum talent. And I believe before Hans Grossman, they had chasing Westmoreland. Tom's flexing on I'm us. Flexing Watch out. right now. Watch out. I got to flex. <laughs> it's my job. Yeah, I've read a lot of good things about that new Hate Eternal, actually. I'm going to uh, listen to that on Wednesday when I go back to work on my extremely long commute. I get to <laughs> listen to a lot of records, so that's what Spotify is good for. So I will be checking that out in a couple days. Yeah, the, the, I mean, it's we're living in a death metal renaissance. I've said it often lately, um, but especially with this Florida comeback that we've had uh, the last few months, uh, you know, the last year or two, really... You want to talk about the the latest Morbid Angel? You want to talk about the latest Monstrosity? The latest Deicide? Malevolent Creation just put out a new album. Um, Crazy, that, was that, it Thirteenth Beast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to talk about that eventually, but you know, right now we're talking about this latest Hate Eternal. Uh, so it, it's just a great great time to be a death metal fan. And this Hate Eternal uh, album is another reason why, because in, in death metal we can still be proud of our bigger artists and our more prominent artists out there, you know? Nice way of putting it, Will, and I agree 100%. Solid shit's coming out. Mm-hmm. 100%. Hate Eternal, baby. got on the plate for us rick take us back in time rick what's your older album so this is the olden domain um by bork nagar yes it's the second album second album of theirs i believe it was 97 and um this is the last album to feature garm on vocals he left i believe right after i don't know the the timeline but this was his last record with bork nagar and he went on. Actually, he had all. He's he's the guy from Ulver, and he had um, Ulver currently at the time uh, while this was going on. And I'm actually going to see them when they come to New York next year or this year. It's going to be pretty sick. I think it's a one-off. Yeah, they're doing uh, Webster Hall, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got tickets for that big event. 
Right. And, um, a lot of people excited for that. But these guys were great. This album, I mean, it was very... It's Borknagar is like folk black metal kind of to me anyway, just melodic and a lot of very eccentric elements. Maybe in, maybe I'm thinking more of their later material. They always had that kind of yeah. stuff. They had clean vocal. All their vocalists are great. They've had three vocalists: Garm, then this guy, uh, Vort ICS Vortex Simon. He's, he he left that and he also joined Dimu Borgia after that mm-hmm. on bass. But he's a great singer. Both death, mo- uh, death vocals and clean vocals. Then Vinter Sorg, this this other sick, awesome musician. He's their current singer. But now they all together on the new album. Uh, they uh, appear on one song. All three singers appear together. Garm came back and did a did a guest spot. And That's pretty cool. Now they have the two. Now they have Simon and Vinter Sorg as the two lead singers for the last few albums, and it's awesome. These guys, I mean, they they're up there as far as great bands and. Yeah, this this band, this band has a special place in my heart because I was never very familiar with Bork Nagar, but the Artificial Brain guys mm. are uh, big fans oh, of good, Bork good Nagar and, and a, yeah. a lot of the related uh, you know artists and, and bands that that kind of weave in and, in and out of Bork Nagar. The um, first Over albums were such good mm-hmm. black metal. So, yeah, and so Over awesome. again, Over. Uh, you know, obviously I was aware of Over and I'd heard some of their material, but. You know, being in a van for weeks at a time with guys who are fans of that sure. material, I, you know, I was really exposed to Olver and Borknagar and a lot of other projects like that. And um, another one, Dodheim's Guard, that uh, yeah. those guys exposed me to. But, uh, I, you know, I learned to really appreciate what was going on here, and it changed my perspective on a lot of, uh, you know, Norwegian black metal. Not to say that this is what people would classify that is, but it is it is black metal-influenced totally. metal from Norway, and it is it has its fingers in and out of those other bands in that scene, you know? And, and uh, these dudes are big influences on me vocally, mm-hmm. you know, so I like to go from clean to death and back and forth, and uh, I don't do as good a job as these gentlemen here, but, you know, I try. And also, I was lucky enough to have seen them in New York. They opened uh, for Emperor, in 99 wow. cool I know we yeah, were jamming awesome. yeah. and this band Witchery they actually went on first I remember Witchery wasn't yeah. Witchery Charlie D'Angelo was on bass that's all I remember the guy from Merciful Fate yeah, yeah, right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. okay alright yeah I remember Witchery actually, they were hot for a minute there around 99 2000 I remember when Witchery was hot and people want to look that up they were kind of like a real catchy thrashy old school that's right like 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 pre death metal type of bands, uh, maybe like skeleton witch kind of stuff. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, very very pre skeleton witch yeah, in a way. You know. Witchery, man, they were a great band. I think they were on Necropolis Records I in the late nineties. But that I was a sick show. I remember we were out in Deer Park at uh, Dare Studios. We were jamming. It was, I guess, it had to have been a Sunday, and this was like nineteen ninety nine. So there was no smartphones. I don't know how. Maybe we got. Um, what was that newspaper out there on Long Island? Good the, times. Good times. Maybe mm-hmm. we got good times and saw that that show was that night. And then we got in the car, we cut practice short, and just drove to the city. Ah, that's awesome. And yeah, we saw uh, Borknagar with Nick Barker from Cradle of Filth. He was the drummer for Cradle of Filth at the time. He was filling in on drums, so that was extra awesome because he's a great drummer. And uh, they played. This was for the. I'm going to say the Quintessence tour, maybe, even though I think that was 2000. I don't, I don't know if they were touring for a record, but it was awesome. Then Emperor played, and they broke up shortly after that. And that was awesome, too. So that was a great show. Well, wow, and you guys just were, you, you saw the little newspaper clip about it at rehearsal, and you said, yeah. fuck rehearsal, let's go out to the city yeah. and do it. Yeah, and that's the second time that something like <laughs> that great. happened. I remember real quick, I was at Zigzag Records, again, Zigzag. And this was 94, August or so, and I was flipping through... Uh, 
the East Coast Rocker or whatever paper it was there, and I saw that Tiamat was going to be opening for Sabbath and Motorhead in uh, at Roseland. And uh, I was really into Tiamat, and they put out a record called Wild Honey that year, and that's what they were touring on. Mm-hmm. And it was their last Doom album before they kind of shifted off into the gothic stuff. But I got there, we rushed right to the city, got there, saw Tiamat. It was, it was fucking sick. And then on their legendary uh, album tour, now they're going around touring 25 years later for that record. They're playing the whole record, but I got to see that tour. So to me, it was, and then I got to see Motorhead, who I wasn't huge on, even though it was awesome. And then Sabbath with Tony Martin on vocals. Hmm. So I saw Sabbath twice with Tony Martin on vocals. Who's, <laughs> you know, he is what he is. He has some good records. TYR was a good album, The Eternal Idol. Uh, cross purposes, but and then I saw him with uh, Ozzy at the end. That wasn't anything great. But <laughs> it's a man falling apart. Wow, a lot yeah. of great shows, man. So Bork Nagar, man. On, yeah. Which uh, which Bork Nagar album again is this? This is the Olden Domain. Okay. Second release. You said? Uh, yes. All right. Yeah. So Bork Nagar, definitely something to get into, man. Wild band. your uh, throwback album i uh i went to italy <laughs> bellissimo yeah i i've been diving into a lot of like gory stuff recently i guess you know just okay. kind of hanging out with you more so uh i, I have that effect on people <laughs> man yeah. i guess so so i found this band that uh is called corpse fucking art whoa uh i re- yeah i remember these guys this band is solid they're, yeah they're these guys are funny they're having a great time while they do this shit, mm-hmm. writing some really brutal, but also very influenced by classic old school death metal, just kind of upping the sound and the speed a little bit. They're playing a lot of riffs that kind of sound like harken back to Tomb of the Mutilated it's kind of shit. Corpse, uh, yeah, sounded stuff. Exactly, it's like that, but I feel like they're just kind of upping the brutality in a bit, bit with the speed. The, the way it's produced is way more like it's clicky. I dig it. It's fun. So, yeah, Splatter Deluxe. This is from 2003. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've just been hanging out on this album this week. Well, the yeah. the name, obviously, too. Uh, Why did they have to be so offensive with the, <laughs> the language? And the and the album art, too. The, the Everything about this reminds me of... Um, United Guttural Records, early Unique Leader Records, that kind of, like like we've talked about before and we talked about a lot, uh, when Paulo uh, Paguntalan was the guest expert on death metal here. Yeah. Um, it's it's just that American Midwest kind of style of, of over the top. Yeah. yeah. Waco Jesus, Flesh Grind, Dead In, Lividity, 
uh, just that over-the-top, brutal, in-your-face style of death metal. And these guys are like right there with it. And it kind of, the early 2000s, they're a little ahead of the curve because this is like that time period when no. that style spread internationally and it was like huge in Europe and Asia and... These dudes would be doing well over here at this point. Uh, their their new live album is just the cover, the VHS cover of Beverly Hills Cop, but with their little logo, <laughs> um, th- their little mascot's face on top of Eddie Murphy. That's oh, great. It's yeah. a great movie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this whole album is riddled with samples in a very grindcore way. You know, funny shit. Just yeah, I don't, I don't believe in samples. I don't uh, subscribe to that. I don't want to be on an album that has. Oh wait, hold on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're in Fate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's part of the game, man. Yeah, Buckshot Fate. Tom Andrew of Buckshot Face is always curating those samples. Yeah, he's the master at that. Yeah. There's some very diplomatic negotiations that go on uh, when, when recording Buckshot Face of yeah. the albums about the samples. One of mine made it. One of my suggestions made it onto yeah, the album. A, a lot of them don't make it. And then there's like, like we have compromises. Like, one, I'll reveal some hidden Buckshot lore right now about samples real quick. On the Ulster Island album, the reason why we used the Jim Cornette sample before the last song for as long as we do, and in hindsight it does run a little long, is it was a compromise between me and Tom because the, Tom used the sample, uh, what, what was it, from the, the Princess Bride or something? The boo, boo. Oh, the, yeah. Yeah, the I witch love lady. that one, man. Not my cup of tea for a sample. but very abrupt, very loud. Uh, yeah, we, we, we sat down at the, yeah. at the negotiation table and we made a deal. We brokered, uh, you know, who got, who, you know, so it, it worked out. But man. you know what, with, the, with, that, with that record and even the album before, uh, Living Ghost, the samples, they kind of make, I, I can't hear those songs now without the introduction sample to them. It wouldn't sound right. No, a sample, a sample does go a long way. I think this band, Corpse Fucking Art, in this album, Splatter Deluxe, there's maybe six or seven samples. They do it real well. Yeah. Um, they're not annoying. There's a little humor in there. Uh, like you said before, obscene name. Oh, goodness. I almost think there's a... Uh, there, there's a language barrier on here. I've seen some. I've seen some foreign bands that use like, uh, you know, some fucks and shits in their band name that that don't shouldn't of, pop up in in the wrong place. Yeah, exactly. But you know, we let it slide because this is Italian folks. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? It's my peoples. Yeah. Corpse fucking art, man. Yeah, I mean, with a name like that, you got to be funny. And yeah, like. If, you use the, if the samples correlate with the lyrical theme a little bit, they could enhance the song. That's what we try to do, I think, a little bit, man. I think this band does well. Skinless, who you mentioned, also does that very well. I, yeah, Skinless nails it. They, they're, they're great with that shit. And uh, this band probably wouldn't be a far cry for someone who's a fan of Skinless to get into, man. Absolutely not. Just pure brutality. So check out some yeah. corpse fucking art. Yeah, order the Splatter Deluxe next time you hit up the diner, tough guy. Nice.
boy. I'm going to take you guys there right now, man. I have my my old school pick. I went into my cassette tape collection, brought the physical release here. Listen to that paper. Damn. That's the layout. It's all loose and it's shit. It's Slugathor, Unleashing the Slugathron. <laughs> From 2003, uh, a cassette, a limited edition cassette tape released on Northern Sound Records from Finland. The band also being from Finland. Uh, I, I own co- a hand numbered copy, 182 out of 333 copies made. Flex. I bought it from Paragon Records, uh, located on Long Island. Shout um, out to Mikey Zancelli. Yeah, Mike Mike Zancelli, brother, uh, who uh, you know. Same same label that puts out Buckshot Facelift and um, Grace Guys Fallen releases. Uh, I bought this from his distribution. His, I, don't, I, I doubt he has any copies of this left. It was a long time ago, but he's he's got a lot of great obscure releases to look for. But this, I gotta say that that tape will. That is the tape it came with, correct? Yes, it wow. is. Wow, that's, yeah. that's amazing. It's just a white tape with some some sharpy ass handwriting. Oh, I could show you some stuff in my tape collection. But yeah, this oh. is just. A blank, white as snow cassette tape with no labeling or writing, and just a sharpie. <laughs> the, the word "slugator," as they say in Finland, written wow, on it. It's great. Uh, it found its way over here, man. Yeah, sh- shout to uh, Tom- Tommy Corpse from um, uh, Death Chain from Finland, who played bass in Demolich a long time ago. He related to me that uh, he actually knew the singer of this album, um, the ex-singer of Slugator, Axu. Uh, unfortunately, the man passed away um, since the recording of this, uh, but Axu was the singer on this release. They have some other releases that I'm familiar with, but this is just such great death metal. Let's talk about this release a little bit. It's for fans maybe of your um, your immolation, uh, maybe even your, your dehumanized or your suffocation. It's not your typical European death metal. This is from the early 2000s. Like I said, when American-style death metal was really starting to catch on in Europe and other parts of the world, very straightforward, very brutal. Um, a little touch of atmosphere, but more just a dark, like a doomy furnace atmosphere, man. There's not a lot of empathy or, or mel- melodicism or anything. When in I this. think of early 2000s American death metal, I, for some reason, think of Nile. Just mm-hmm. because this is, I remember at the Milwaukee shows they were the big topic. Yeah, those they, couple of years they blew a lot of people away. And Nile was, you know, definitely completely different. I don't. I, I would classify these guys a little bit more with the more uh, East Coast New York uh, style of, of of death metal. If okay. I had to say anything, Immolation really comes yeah. to mind, and Incantation, but maybe with a little more. Just a little more of that chunk and oomph that you get out of Long New York City and Long Island bands, man. I, I liken it to Immolation and Suffocation a lot. And this yeah. this cassette tape, it's just magic to me, man. Um, it's a full-length album. Uh, how many songs are on there? We're passing around the cover right here. Is it online anywhere? Can we check this out online? Uh, it is on YouTube if you type it in there. I haven't Ten checked. songs. Ten songs, so it's a full-length album, man. Yeah, you get it on YouTube. You can look for this. I, I you know, I, I something I didn't research was whether or not there's like a discography edition or, or a release on CD, man. Because I don't need to worry about it. Yeah. I got the tape. Flex. Can you also read the credits for uh, the players in this band before you started mentioning them? But I, I thought that their credits were pretty funny. Oh yeah. Well, we, first you have Tommy with an I. Uh, he just does guitar and bass. You know, he, which is enough. Um, Easy but enough. Then you have. Tuopi, uh, T-U-O-P-P-I. He does guitars, backing vomits, mm. and leading to chaos. Would you say so, this was 2003? I remember the yes. Grammys when they had the backing vomits category. He was omitted that year, and he, we were all upset about that. I think it had to I, do with leading <laughs> to chaos. He was focusing too much on leading to chaos that year. Then, of course, you have uh, Imu, I-M-M-U, who uh. did drums, shouts, and beers. 
Um, he did all the beers for the whole band, yeah. uh, you know, which is maybe why he had to be they led to the guy. chaos. Supply them. I mean, it's good to say he hears in time on this record. No, this the drums. Uh, all yeah. these guys, you know, as we we, as fuck. we jest, but these are phenomenal uh, performances on this record. Oh, and then, yeah. of course, R.I.P. to their their former singer Axu. Uh, who was responsible on this recording for Beastial Grunts and Screams, and I can't argue with that description. No, that yeah. sounds about right. There's no joking there. Leading to chaos and beers. Well, I mean... We need more of those on album credits. All songs were decomposed by Tommy, just so you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's good. I don't know. I'm not I, sorry, it's good. I, I mean, they, they take a sample from Lucio Fulci's The House by the Cemetery, talking about tasteful samples. There's just... There's just tasteful. That's the, that's the word here, tasteful. This is this is just uh, brutal death metal done so tastefully. There's nothing... By gentlemen. Yeah, by gentlemen. There's, there's, it's refined, it's well-written, it's well-recorded. Yeah. There's nothing compromising the brutality here. This is just... It's great death metal, man. I, lo- I love Slugator. So check out Slugator as they unleash the Slugatron in this old release. And uh, peep out their other releases too, man. They, 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 these guys don't do bad things. They're from Finland. Come on. Check it. Unleash the Slugatron today. <laughs> So this has been quite an evening we've had of adventures, gray skies, fallen history, a little bit of that, a little bit of a uh, little taste, little, little things s- of Sweden's European doom metal, different uh, mo- whole different movement metal. We got our, we, you know, we got our feet wet with that a little bit, man. Maybe in the future we'll delve into that a little bit. Listeners could give us the feedback. We uh, we talked about old albums. We talked about unleashing the Slugathron. And um, tonight, before we unleash you, Rick, yeah. and let you get out of here, I know you got a long commute, man. We appreciate you it's joining okay, us. Man. There's My one pleasure. thing um, before before we tell we tell you to tell people where they can catch you. There's one place I know that we can catch you. Tell us the story and tell us which which one it was. What, the biohazard video you're in. Oh, wow! <laughs> oh, it was the. It was filmed. It must have been April of '93. And uh, <clears throat> we had tickets. My friend's sister works for a record company, and she got tickets. It was when Biohazard played at this club called the Academy in Manhattan, and uh, Onyx opened for them. And this is where awesome. they performed their hit video called Slam, uh, and they filmed it with Onyx. And I was there. I was 16. I was in the middle of the pit. And my friend got his uh, rest in peace to my buddy John Burdick, who I went to the show with. He uh, got his teeth busted out at that show, but he was real happy about it. <laughs> he had like three teeth in his hand, and he, he didn't give a shit. It was like a, it was a war scar, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And um, I had seen Biohazard uh, plenty of times at Lemoore over the years, maybe two or three times by that time. Yeah. After that as well, but that was a sick show. And, you know, we knew the video was going on. You could see me, and I had, like, bad long hair. It was, like, when I was growing my hair out, and it was, like, coiffy, afro-y, afro-type <laughs> hair. I looked like a French waiter in the 70s. <laughs> and then a year later, my hair kind of grew out, so, like, I had cool long hair for a little while, but this was a bad time. And uh, so, yeah, you see me for a split second, 
I gotta dig it up. I'll find the video somewhere. I'll find it's on YouTube. I'll find the clip. That, yeah, I'd love I'd love to see that, yeah. man. So that was the that was the video for Onyx Slam, uh, like 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 rock remix with Biohazard yeah. or something, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, and it was it was it was crazy, man. <laughs> All right, that just popped into my head, man. But. Uh, you know, you're as you said. Obviously, you're from Gray Skies, Fallen and Buckshot facelift, and people could yeah. uh, keep their eyes peeled for Crimson Dusk, a new project that we're trying to start, get off the ground. We'll do that. Uh, we'll absolutely do that. It's going to be heavy. Yeah. So you know, you can look for all that on on all the respective social media and everything. Right. And check it out. Bandcamp, all the all Bandcamp, Facebook, Instagram, all the all the usual suspects these days. Mm-hmm. The Bandcamp mm-hmm. has all the records. Spotify has all the records. Yeah. You, yeah. Everybody, you know, if you found the podcast, you could find this stuff, right? Yeah, Come on, let's absolutely. not play around. We all know what to do. But and also, you could find us uh, on the Heavy Hole Podcast on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, Tom, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, Heavy Hole Pod for the old Twitter, and we're at uh, it's a Heavy Hole Podcast for Facebook. Correct? Yes, that's true. Yeah. All right, and uh, Justin's not here, and he's the Instagram monger. So it's either Heavy Hole Pod or Heavy Hole Podcast. Doesn't matter. Like I said, you can find it. Come yeah. on, it's 2019, but grow up. you know, grow up if you can. You guys yeah. have a great show, man. I uh, just wanted to thank you guys for having me out tonight. Thank I, you so I, much for showing up, man. Yes, thanks like, for coming a lot through, of fun. brother. Yeah, I, 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 it's just it's just good to see you, man. We don't rehearse as much nowadays. You, you know, know. lives far away. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm I'm free every weekend. I'm free any night during the week. I just need a little bit of notice. So, you know? so you guys all heard that, all right? Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> all right, it's not it's not it's not good old Rick. So then we'll get you back. We'll get you back in a few uh, a few months from now. Cool, man. That sounds great. I would love to have you back in. We'll pick uh, your brain a little bit more. That. Talk about Swedish death metal. Let's do it. Thanks a lot, Rick. We'll see you guys later. Heavy Hole Podcast. We're out. Peace. Thank you.